that are probably gearing up for parties as well. And so, but for those of you who are going to be uh, watching the game, who's uh, any Packer fans here? All right, where's our Steelers at? <laughs> all right. We're going to have a little game preview. So all of you fans, we'll just meet out there. We'll just duke it out before see how it goes. So um, it's, it's really a Super Bowl Sunday is always a funny day at church because I think most people are really thinking about the big game and all the things they got planned. And so I really am glad that you came today. Um, and I'm excited about this new place where we're at for the next five weeks just to see how this works out for us. They're improving the room that we're typically meeting in, which is the banquet room uh, back here. And so they're putting in some different flooring. They're going to soundproof the room a little bit and just some good things that should really, uh, you know, add to our worship experience back there. So let, let's pray as we launch into our message. Father, thank you for this group here. Thank you so much for bringing us all here, getting us up this morning, helping us to just uh, clear our morning, Lord, so that we could come and worship you and, and hear from you, Lord. Uh, we've come here expectant, Lord, to to be in your presence, God, and to to grow closer to know you, Lord. And for those that don't know you, God, I pray that you would use this as a step that would uh, help them begin to uh, either investigate or actually cross over into a real relationship with you, God. I pray that you'd use things today through your word to do real work in all of our hearts, God, drawing us closer to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we launch, I want to look at a clip to get started. This is a video clip from a movie. I think the movie's called To Save a Life. Or How to Save a Life. I think it's To Save a Life. Anyway, it's a movie that came out in the theaters last year. And it was about... uh, It kind of dealt with some different issues. One was teen suicide. And then just the idea of... uh, Some some about bullying in schools. And also just acceptance. You know, not feeling accepted in schools. And we know we have these pockets in school. And we have little cliques that form. And and so we're going to see this scene from a typical American church youth group, okay? And so there's a youth pastor, and the youth pastor is speaking to this church youth group, and hardly anybody is really paying attention. And uh, nobody's really listening. They're thinking about other things. And a local teen who had recently stepped into this youth group, he'd come because things were going well in his life. He'd come to the youth group hoping that he would be accepted there. And again, he was ignored. Nobody paid attention to him. Nobody noticed that he was really there. Nobody really noticed him at all in the world, he felt like. And so at school one day, he made sure everyone remembered him, and he, he shot himself in front of his class. And his, one of his closest friends from growing up was really shaken by, this, uh, by the suicide. And distance had grown between this guy and the, the one who committed suicide. At one point, they were like best friends. They did everything together. But, you know, high school, people go their separate ways. This one kid, he's a real cool kid, kind of like the jock, and he's the star of the school, winning the games, has the girl, all of that. And, um, you know, he had kind of distanced himself from this other kid. Well, the cool kid now, he's shaken by the fact that this guy committed suicide, and he realized, you know, I could have maybe been a part of preventing that. And so he goes to church to kind of try to start over for his own life, to see what he needs to get in order. And he observes this scene in the youth group, about all these kids that really don't give a rip. They're really not interested in God or growing. And so he's struggling with all that's gone on. And I want to 
I want you to just kind of catch this, and then we'll, we'll go from there. You know, they did a survey to find out the places that people least like to be. And some on the top of the list were the DMV, the dentist, the principal's office. But you know what the number one place was? Church. Boring, judgmental, hypocritical. Why is it that so often we can be the exact opposite of what this teaches? That's not how it's supposed to be, guys. This is supposed to be a place where you don't have to pretend like you've got it all together or that you don't have any problems. A place where you can come and be who you really are and not feel judged. I want to take 30 seconds right now, 30 seconds of silence, and I want you to ask yourself the question, who have I judged? Hey, did you see the game last Sunday? Man, Jake, I was up all night. She would not text me. Did any of you hear what he just said? My girlfriend came here today and she left because she felt judged and no one even noticed. Roger walked into school and started shooting. I knew him. He wasn't crazy. And did anyone ever stop and ask why? I mean, how did it get to the point where his only option was to shoot himself? Now, there are people killing themselves and you're chugging soda through a sock. I mean, what's the point of all this if you're not going to let this change you? Let's go ahead and cut it right there. What do you think we should do, Jake? So he, he makes the point. He really asks the question, what's the point of all this? They're playing youth group games. They're chugging soda through socks. That's what youth groups do. And, uh, I mean, there's more to it than that. But there's a lot of games and fun. And, and I grew up in the church, really didn't take God seriously. But uh, for me, this kind of brought back memories of what I, what I grew up doing in, at church as a teenager. I was just kind of apathetic and pretty half-hearted about my, my walk with the Lord. I was really excited about the fun things that we did. Um, you know, you see people in there, they're just ignoring what the youth pastor asked them to do. Um, they're ignoring the 30-second evaluation of themselves, and they're just thinking about, what am I going to do when I leave? Or, you know, you see one guy, he's, he's passing a you know, little baggie of pot to his girlfriend. That's actually, you find out that's the pastor's son. And uh, that's also, unfortunately, somewhat typical of churches. So if you see my kids passing weed, you do have my permission. Please let me know. I want to know. Seven, four, and six or fourteen months. So, but I think that the reality of this is there's just this apathy, this strong sense of I don't care that happens in in youth settings, but it also can happen in adult settings. So where we come to church. And we're going through the, the motions and we're hearing a message or we're, we're listening to some songs as if it's being performed to us. And it just kind of bouncing off us. We're observers. We're not involved sometimes. It's real easy to just grow apathetic in our faith. And in, in high school, it's certainly a real problem. Studies have been done just showing how there's such a, a, a major, a, a, there's a, a big dropout rate of 
Christian or so-called church-going teenagers who are coming through uh, you know, youth groups, and they just drop out. By the, time they hit, by the time they hit college, they're just not interested in God. They have no interest in attending church, no interest in pursuing anything real, because they never really experienced anything real while they were growing up. And it doesn't matter if like, studies say it really doesn't even affect you if you're in a private school. You might think, well, I'll shelter my kid, pull him out of the public school, put him in private school. But they look at, they're looking at studies of private school and public school kids and are finding out that many times kids are still arriving as, as adults and they're secular humanists. They don't believe in the reality of God. They don't believe that He really does make a difference in our lives. And there, something is not working, you know. So we think, well, I'll, I'll up my church attendance. But church attendance doesn't help the youth group, really. I, I, I was at a funeral recently for someone who, who was killed. And what I, was, what I had observed was all of the people that were there that I knew from my youth group, very, none, of the, none of the ones who were walking with God back then seem to be walking with God now. It's just, it's, it was like part of their past. It's not something that they're really interested in now. And it just, it's occurring to me, people are dropping out. And adults drop out. It's not just teenagers. Attendance isn't the issue. Attendance doesn't bring about change. And our, our admission into heaven has nothing to do with our attendance record at church, which is a good thing. It really doesn't have to do with the fact that God has this big you know, sheet full of stars with all of our names on it. And every time we're there, He puts a gold star on our name. And at the end of our life, if we've had you know, more gold than red or whatever, then we're in heaven. It really it doesn't work that way. In fact, as we dig into Scripture, and you can find this at the top of your outline, it's possible that many people in church... Even entire churches can be lost. This is a reality we find in Scripture. Many people that, that are a part of church, part of churches, even entire churches, the Scripture says, can be lost without hope. They may be sincere, they may be zealous and passionate and outwardly very religious, but they reject the truth about Jesus. There's many people that reject the truth about Jesus that attend church for a variety of reasons. And churches can be full of people who, who, who've heard about Jesus Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection. And they even have Bibles that contain the truth, but they don't believe it. And they, then they don't obey it. And as a result, the Scripture says they're doomed. The Scripture says there's a real problem for, for people who have not allowed the truth to sink into their hearts. And this church that we're going to look at, we've been looking at a series of letters to churches in in an area called Asia Minor, which is like modern-day Turkey. And they're being evaluated by Jesus Christ. He's giving them a grade on, on what's going on inside the church walls, among their people, in their lives. And the church that we're going to look at, Church of Laodicea, was a totally unregenerate, they were a false church. It was a church full of false, lost people. And this was the last and the worst of the letters addressed by Christ. And so... The downward spiral really began, and I want to pull up a map. I don't know if you can see it, but in the middle, we've really only looked at the negative, the churches that received kind of a negative mark or grade. But first we looked at Ephesus. Ephesus is kind of near the middle. Again, that's modern-day Turkey, known as Asia Minor in Bible times. And Ephesus was a church that Jesus said, you've forsaken your first love. They'd mixed their priorities, and because of that, their love had, had cooled off. Their faith had really just cooled. And so he says, you've forsaken me. And he goes to another church, Pergamum and Thyatira. 
And to those two churches, the Christians in those places were being tolerant of sin among their members. They had members of their church, and they were allowing patterns of sin to just infect and spread among their membership. And they weren't doing anything about it. And so the charge against the, charge against the, the churches in Pergamum and Thyatira was they were too tolerant of sin. Eventually, those churches lost their ministry because false teaching sprouted up and it, it caused their churches to not be able to flourish any longer. Last week, we looked at a church in Sardis. Only a few scattered Christians were among this entire church full of people playing games. That's the charge that Christ set against them. They were told, wake up, band together, try to fan into flame the faith that is still left and see if you can get after it. See if you can bring about change. And to this church, Laodicea, this was really the church at the bottom of the list. Um, you see it there on the map. It's the southeasternmost church that's addressed. It's near two other cities right there. And it's built on a plateau. And you'll see this picture rendering the ancient city. It's built on a plateau several hundred feet high, which really gave them the upper hand when it came to battle. They were much less vulnerable to attack. And this really got into them. They realized, man, we're, we're almost invincible. We can't be touched. And so the attitude in the, in the city really began to spill over into the way they did church. There was this sense of, we're untouchable, we're invincible, we're, we're on top of the world. They had some things going. You see there's a big theater there, but this was a very, very prosperous city. And they had certain industries there. One of the industries was they had a huge banking industry. And they were such a wealthy city. They were known for their wealth that when there was a major earthquake that destroyed their city, rather than accepting help from Rome to rebuild, they, they said, we got it covered. We've got money in the bank. We can, we can do our own rebuilding. That was unheard of for cities in these times, but this was like a banking commercial center. They were known for that as one of their industries. Also, they were known for producing this soft black wool that they would sell and it would export out to the region. Another thing they were known for, this ancient eye medicine that would heal people's eye problems. And so they had a medical school there and the, the doctors there actually invented this eye medicine that, again, they were known for. And you can look up the name Laodicea and it'll talk about this eye medicine that came out of the doctors of those days. And it was exported all, all throughout the Greco-Roman world. So this church was founded among this very wealthy city who had a very well-known, prestigious uh, business industry of exporting. And the church by Christ was accused of this. The church in Laodicea was, was spiritually lukewarm. That's the accusation. That's the first thing. He says, you're spiritually lukewarm. We're going to look at this passage in Revelation 3, verse 14. It says this in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the Amen. That's the only place in Scripture where Christ is addressed in this way. The word Amen, it means truth. So this is the words of basically the, the one who, who is the truth. And then it goes on, the faithful and true witness He's also, his message is truthful. The words that Jesus said, he's the God of truth. He's the, this is coming from him. It goes on, it says, the ruler of God's creation. Verse 15 says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. He, he, before we really look any further, he talks about your deeds. He's well aware, and the picture is, he's walking amongst his church just like he did the others, just like he walks amongst our church. He pays attention to what we do, the way we do church life, the way we relate to each other. When we gather, when we're not assembled together, he's, he's, he's paying attention. And he says to this church, I know your deeds, 
And he brings up, it's interesting, he brings up the fact that he's paying attention to what they do. And the issue of deeds seems to come up a lot in, in Christ's evaluation of the church. And you might be thinking, well, I thought we were saved not by what we do. And the truth is, we're not. We're saved by, by what? By, yeah, by faith through grace. Or, did I say that right? Did I spin that around? Spin that around. By grace through faith. Grace, unmerited favor. We didn't deserve it, but we're saved by God's grace. He had favor on us. Showed us His kindness. And we accept Him through faith. That's how we're saved. But Jesus is looking for deeds. He's paying attention to deeds because deeds confirm or they deny the presence of genuine faith. And I want you to catch that. Deeds in our lives or in a church, they confirm or they deny if there's genuine faith. And that's what he's looking at. He said, let me see the fruit that's there. He said, I know your deeds. And he says that you're neither hot. I'm sorry, that you're neither cold nor hot. They weren't spiritually dead. So he says, you're not cold. You're not spiritually dead, those who reject Christ. Or you're not hot. You're not spiritually alive and thriving. He says, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's pretty direct. You know, some churches made Christ sad. Some of the churches made Christ somewhat angry. This church made Christ sick. He says, the way I'm looking at you, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm is really a description of, of those who really don't fit into either category of hot or cold. They're just kind of somewhere in the middle. They weren't genuinely saved. And on the other hand, they really hadn't openly rejected the gospel message. I would call this group churchgoers. This is people who go to church, but they're lukewarm in their faith. And he's, he's accusing the entire church of fitting into this category. They claim to know God, but they were playing games. They were just spiritually, they were in a bad, bad condition. And this idea comes up several times in Scripture. I wanted to show you a few more passages that deal with this. It's not in the outline, but Jesus addressed this same kind of problem. He talked about beware false prophets that find their way into church. Another group of people who really were lukewarm, but they had the, the, the presence of being spiritual or religious. Look at what Jesus says about a counterfeit group of religious leaders in Matthew 7. He said this, Not everyone who says to me, he's talking about the end of time, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform Many miracles, verse 23 says, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. These people were producing bad fruit. The, the deeds, the, the fruit of their life were false. They were empty. And so their spiritual, their motives were being observed. And God, you know, Jesus was saying, this is not genuine faith. So he's telling, he's saying, beware of these people. Look at this, Paul Warn Timothy of another group of people who really fit into the same category. He says this, 2 Timothy 3 says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Think about how this relates to us in our world, in our society, in our, in our culture. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. 
Sounds pretty bad. I mean, we're thinking, stay away from that group. That's obvious. Anybody like that, I, wanna, I don't want them to be close friends. But then look at what he says. Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. See, they appeared to have God in their lives. These were church-going people. He's saying, this, is, this, is, this will find its way into the church. This kinds of character qualities, these qualities are going to find them their way into the church. And look at what he says at the very end. Have nothing to do with them. The faith of the false Christians is empty. And being in a lukewarm state is a really scary place to be because we don't realize that we're there. When we're lukewarm, we don't understand there's a real problem. And there's no one further from the truth than the person who thinks their faith is legitimate, but it's false. And that's a scary thing. Someone who makes an emotional or an empty profession of faith, but has no genuine saving faith, that's a bad place to be because we think our lives are okay and then we arrive at the end of our lives and we find out we're separated from God for all eternity. That's, that's a scary thought. What he's getting at in this passage is this church was full of people who thought they were okay, but they weren't okay. No one is harder to reach than a, than a false Christian. So here's some things about the church. The church was also arrogant and self-deceived. They were deceived about their real spiritual condition. They didn't understand what they really needed. Verse 17 says, You say, Jesus is saying, here's what, here's what I hear coming through the church. You say, hey, we're rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. This church was really wrapped up in their own need for personal prosperity. The wealth of this city, because like I said, Laodicea was a very wealthy place. The church began to think that the that the wealth of their city must mirror our spiritual wealth. But Jesus was saying, you're really bankrupt. He goes on, he says, but you do not realize that you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're actually poor. You're blind and you're naked. They were deceived. They were trusting in themselves. And any time we trust in ourselves or our resources or our reputation, we find out we're in bad shape. If we're not trusting in God and the work that He's done through the person of Jesus, we're in real bad shape. And so to them... Christ offered something. First off, Christ offers this all to those who are lost, to the church. He offered this. He says, encounter true salvation. He's giving them another chance. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. And what he's doing here is he is addressing the three industries that this city was known for. He says, you know, I'll give you true riches. Gold, he's talking about. I counsel you to buy from me gold. He wants them to experience or to encounter a true rich or true riches, which is a relationship with him. Gold is free from impurity. So he's talking about, he's talking about I've got something that is much greater than the wealth that you've got. Next he says, I'll give you clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. Salve to put in your eyes so that you can see. They didn't realize that they were, they were still lost. So he's saying, look, you've got to come to me so you can experience true salvation. And if you've been coming around and you've not yet really broken through to a relationship with Him, you're not sure if you're, if you're truly, if you've committed your life to Christ, or you, you know, you're just wondering if, if attendance is enough, what he's saying is it's not enough. You need to encounter Christ for yourself. It's not church attendance. It's not the family that we're raised in. 
It's not the fact that my parents knew Christ and that I'm okay because I'm related to them or my best friends are good with God and I'm okay. The truth is, if we're trusting in anything else other than Christ and us personally responding to Him, then our faith is not legit. It's not true. The good thing is this offer was for them. It's also for us. If we find ourselves in this place, it's for us. We can respond. He also wants us to experience His love and compassion. That's the next thing He offers them. Verse 19, he's saying, this is a kind of a confusing verse, those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. And what he's saying is uh, he has a genuine love for this group of unredeemed people. He wants, them, he wants them to respond to him in real faith. He wants them to experience his goodness, his compassion, rather than to just deal with God's judgment and wrath. God has a special and unique love for those of those who have yet to come to know Him. It's interesting, in Scripture you find that He has a very, very special love for those that respond to Him, but He, has, he, he still loves those who have yet to come to know Him. Those who, those who you know, even have rejected Him. I want to show you this verse. It's interesting. Jesus said to, to this rich young man who rejected Him, look at what it says, Mark 10:21. Jesus looked at him, and loved him. Sometimes we think God only loves those who respond to him. The truth is, God loves all of us. He has unique love for those who come to know him, but he loves us all. He looks at this one man who, who Jesus sees right into his life and he sees he has a real need for salvation. He says, Looked at him and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have. This is a man who's got great riches. He says, give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? See, this is a really interesting verse because he's challenging something that I think we all can relate to in this world. See, all of us would qualify for rich. He's saying, how hard is it for those to enter, for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Everybody in America that has, you know, food for tomorrow and the rest of the week, you may not have food for months, but you know, if you have a little bit of money in your pocket, you're provided for. I mean, there's a lot of people around the world. The majority of the world is, is you've got more. We have more resources than the majority of the world. And so Jesus is saying it's going to be hard for people to enter the kingdom of God. And I think we qualify for this, this group. We have to ask ourselves tough questions. He's challenging this rich man who trusted in his wealth. He says, I, I want to test your, your faith here. And the man, he, he turned and he walked away. He, he, he wasn't willing to place God as first in his life. And I think the reality is we want to experience heaven right now on earth. And as much as I'd like to talk about that thought, I think we struggle with that. We want to experience God's heaven right now on earth and so because of that um, it's real hard to, to to prioritize our relationship with god because we want it now we don't want to give up things right now because we want to experience it now i've been wrestling with that a lot so i actually don't want to tangent too much on it. i'm actually writing something so we can look at that thought later on in another message but as a country and as a church i think we got to wrestle with this idea of are we first? Is He first in our life? This rich young man rejected Him, but Christ still loved Him. It's 
interesting. He has this special love he wanted this man to experience. He wants this church to experience love as well. Wants us to experience it. John 3.16, same idea, real familiar passage. For God so loved the world, the whole world, that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The, the word believes, it's not just a, uh, a thought like, oh, I believe He existed. The Greek word for this has to do with putting your full trust in Him. Relying completely on Him. That's more than just our understanding of the word believe. It's a full trust. So in order for us to experience the fullness of His love and His compassion, we can't rely on ourselves. We can't rely on what we can muster up for faith. We actually we need to rely on Him to connect us with God through the work that He did on the cross. This church... They hadn't truly experienced that. The last thing he says is this. He asks them to begin a relationship with the real and living God. And he gives us this amazing verse which creates this great picture. Revelation 3.20, he says, Here I am, I stand at the door. He's knocking on the door of this church. He's saying, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, come in and eat with him and he with me. And you see there's this picture on the next slide of Christ. Go ahead and go a little more and it'll bring the verse back up, I think. There it is. I don't know if you've seen this picture before, but it was drawn in 1851. It's called Light of the World. And it shows Christ outside the church knocking on the door. The implication is, is that there was no believers in this church at all. That He was knocking on the door of the church saying, hey, let me in. And I'm amazed at this gracious invitation that is still offered to us. Even though we all deserve to experience God's punishment and His judgment, Christ offered this gracious invitation to us all to, to begin a relationship with the real and the living God. But sadly, many people will never open the door. Sometimes we hear this verse and we think only personal. We only think this is about me responding to Christ. But really, this is a letter to a church. So it really is the fact that Christ is trying to get the whole church's attention. Here are some personal questions as we wrap up to wrestle with. Have I had a real encounter with Jesus Christ? Number one. And can I put that into words? Can I put, can I put into words what my faith is really tied, what it's wrapped up in, what I'm trusting in for all eternity? Can I, can I write down what I understand? about Jesus and what He's done and what that means for me. Another thing, how has the reality of Christ made a difference in my life now? What is He changing? What, what's going on in my life? What are the, what's the fruit that's being bore in my life as a result of Him coming in and, and doing something new? The third thing, am I struggling with assurance of my salvation? I'd ask that question. Do, am I not sure? Am I not sure if He's, if he's really inside of me? If you're, if you're struggling with that, wrestle with that. Ask some questions. Come talk to a leader of our church. And, and, you know, Christ actually wants us to have confidence. He wants us to know without a doubt where we stand with Him. He'll give us that assurance of our salvation. Here's some church-wide questions we also need to ask often. First one, have we been faithful to share an accurate message of true salvation? That's something we need to look at. Are we being faithful to the true message? Secondly, are we more concerned about meeting the needs of our own then we are genuinely concerned for those without hope. Those that are still lost. It's really easy to get comfortable and to take care of our own 
and to those who've been coming around to, and to, to just look inward and to just lose focus on those who are outside. But the truth is, all of us at one point were on the outside. We, we needed, if you've discovered hope, there was a point when you didn't have hope. And God used probably someone or a group of people in your life to introduce you to Him. And so, the last question is, Jesus Christ in our midst, is He leading our efforts or is He knocking from the outside? Here's the next steps, and these are on the back of your listening guide, and then we're going to pray. You might consider wrestling this week with settling the issue of your own salvation, and your personal need for forgiveness and a new life. If you've never nailed that down, I'd encourage you to take that step. And secondly, pray that God would use me to share my life and this message of hope with someone. Just begin to, if you want to take that step, maybe you're trying to invest in new relationships and just asking God, would you help me to, to speak up at the right time or to know when, when it's time to, to ask the right questions or to, or to just engage in that kind of spiritual conversation. The last one is to memorize that verse. Behold, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Today is the last day in this, uh, either in the service or tonight from your home, like on your laptop or computer, if you want to sign up for the growth groups. Uh, Scott said that, but really to reiterate, this is the last day right now. We've got over 100 people that have signed up for growth groups and 100 adults, and so really excited about that. There is more room, and so sign up today and uh, drop that in the offering or just go online and take care of that. So let, let's continue in worship. Or Let me pray. Father, thank you for this group. God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we we really need your word in our lives today, God. So many of the things that you you spoke about, we're seeing unfold in our world. Lord, there's there's a lot of chaos around us. There's even chaos in our own lives, God, and we we desperately need to know the truth amidst all the chaos. Lord, I pray that. If there's any here that have never settled the issue of where they're going to spend all eternity and who they're going to live for, Lord, if there's some that just have never made you boss, Lord, I pray that today you'd help them to uh, to take a step in that direction, Lord, to investigate what that means, Lord, without pressure from anyone here, but Lord, that if you're if you're speaking to anyone here, Lord, and you want someone to respond, Lord, I pray that you'd help them to take that step to let us know on the connection card. And then to be willing to have a conversation about nailing that down so that you can come in, you can begin to change each person, Lord. Thank you for the change that you make in our lives. And Lord, as a church, we want to know that you're inside all of what we do, that you're leading our efforts, that you're the one who's guiding this church, Lord, as we make decisions, as we, as we reach out to this community. Lord, we want to know that you're the one who's steering us, Lord, that you're truly the head of our church. And so... Help us to be quick to to line up what we're doing with the Scripture, Lord. Thank you again for your word, Lord. Thank you for how real it is, how, how true it speaks to our life today, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The ushers are going to come right now and they're going to receive our offering. So if you would, please put the uh, connection card in the basket. And if, you, if you'd like to give an offering today, you can. We thank you for...